Welcome to the Back to Square Quan podcast with your host Chong and Kedrick. This is a podcast where we will have conversations about training, nutrition, and philosophy, taking you back to square one. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. Welcome to the Back to Square Quan podcast, and today we're going to keep things nice and short because we're going to be talking shit, pun intended. With Mr. Oliver Wood here. So, for those who don't know, um, Ollie here is, or was, I don't know if you still are, a bodybuilder, um, but has since then sort of transitioned away. I don't know if that's the right word to focusing more on health and something about the gut. Um, so, welcome to the show, Ollie. Yeah, man, good to be here. Um, yeah, the bodybuilding uh, is for me, it's a, a a style of training. It's not necessarily a, an endeavor to get on stage as such. We've certainly done a couple of them in the past, but uh, after a relatively recent uh, injury, um, you know, ripping the shoulder out and tearing a bunch of muscles off, it can be hard to uh, balance the body when you're doing that. So uh, I think the goal of the training focus is still there, um, but I think it's more the awareness of what the the approach is and trying to make sure that if you bring this awareness back to contracting muscles, you're stabilizing how the body looks and you've got an awareness of how you want to look. I think that's uh, building the body at some level. So whatever that category is for bodybuilder, we could start there. <laughs> cool. Um, so yeah, so K- Kedrick and myself, um, for, if you don't know this, Ollie, so we were, or Kedrick is still um, an international student at some point. And we, we like powerlifting. We like strength training. And one thing that, um, as we sort of dabble into the the dark arts, as some would say, sometimes when we look at food or nutrition, macros is a thing. Mm-hmm. It exists. Um, and sometimes we would say, hey, if it fits your macros, we can definitely chuck in some instant noodles, put a chicken breast on it, put some bok choy and call that a meal. How does that fit in with gut health? Or I guess to start, what is gut health? Is it a myth? <laughs> Yeah, well, to answer your question there, mate, like I was in the same boat of uh, trying to make sure that like, cool, if I'm not growing, I'm going to eat more. If I am not, if I want to get lean, I'm going to eat less, right? And if there's, there's going to be an equation of that thermodynamics that always play, always play a role, but what we're looking at is trying to make sure the body's actually absorbing that food. Uh, and that's not something I just learned uh, straight away. That was something me, you know, where I was uh, looking to add a bunch of tissue. I was a- adding more and more food. And at some point you get this discrepancy between is it just weight <laughs> and fat or is it actually quality muscle? And realizing that I could build more tissue at four and a half thousand calories and feel good than I could at 8,000 calories feeling like a water buffalo, right? And getting an idea of what that looked like and being able to digest that food is a very different game. And realizing that, you know, we're working with a lot of uh, physical stress and muscle breakdown but when we're looking at uh, food and if we're over consuming at that level there's also going to be a level of digestive stress that we need to take into account right so at some point we're looking at how many meals a certain frequency of day we're looking at a certain caloric intake that's going to be helpful but none of that matters if our bodies are under so much digestive stress or it's psychological physical that's causing our body's ability to uh, you know not utilize that the way it should be right it's all about how we absorb assimilate food it's got nothing to do with what we eat yeah so Kedrick is also a nutrition coach on his end, and I'll be kind of keen to hear your thoughts, Kedrick, because I know that you work with a lot of quote-unquote powerlifters. Um, Kedrick is a very, very renowned powerlifting coach. And, and one thing I, I kind of realize is that in the world of powerlifting or strength sports in general, there's always this mindset of like macros above everything else. Kedrick, do you see this a lot with your, with your clients and how, how do you approach that? 
Oh, I, I definitely do see it sometimes. I think a large part that you kind of have to like keep in mind as well is I, at least the way I do it is I, I don't try to take someone from like uh step zero to step 50 straight away, right? It's like powerlifters often have pretty poor diet diet and nutrition. So I'm like, yeah, cool. I, I have this plan where they should go. Uh, and we slowly progress them towards that. For example, I have like uh, a client who's uh, competing this weekend and he doesn't have to make weight. So he's eating into his weight class, but he's also the organizer for the competition. So he said, oh, I'm stressed and I don't eat enough. Then I said that yeah, you probably should. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen in the past where the organizer of the competition is competing and they just are, like I said, stressed and organizing the competition and they don't eat enough and they don't usually perform. And he said, oh yeah, so what should I do? Can I just like eat like pizza and stuff? I said, yeah, I mean, you can, but I think it's also probably good to get food that uh, have like micronutrients and nutrients as well, not just the calories. So I guess this is an example of me trying to like, kind of like change the mindset of a power of my uh, clients in which they think that everything is uh, calories, right? So I do think that, you know, the, 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 the law of the thermodynamics would ring true, right? Uh, but uh, like I said, some people have more, I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly sure uh, what the research is like there, but I've read a couple that some people actually uh, have more like efficient uh, digestive system. So they actually uh, absorb more of the calories that they consume, whereas people who are inefficient, they don't absorb as much and vice versa. So I know that that could potentially take play a role as well but i i generally don't look at that just because i do not have the expertise so yeah in general i think that yeah speaking to ollie maybe you can share a little bit uh of an insight on if you you have seen cases with the clientele you work with with like maybe someone who has a slightly more efficient like for uh, quote unquote digestive system or metabolism and uh on the flip side someone who doesn't have an efficient one. Yeah, man. Well, we can get, you know, like for you and I, I'm sure we could get stuck in the weeds into, um, you know, the recovery strategies, uh, timing of nutrients, um, trying to make sure that there's a certain sequence for everything and anything we do. But I think the very uh, initial thing you sent is, is said is always the uh, biggest part of coaching that I think is sometimes missed is depending on where they in, are in that spectrum of their own knowledge is where they tend to stay. Right. And I think when we're talking with people that have been around for a while or they, they really are quite intelligent people, they tend to get stuck in the rut and can't connect with clients because they're only talking over here. All right. And then the simple coaches can actually get quite good results because we're talking in a position that they're still, you know, they're still in going through the initial stages, right? The classic PT that lost some weight now is trying to help another client can actually resonate quite now with someone who's in that first year because they meet them where they're at, right? And I think this is a, a frustration that I had certainly coming into the industry, uh, you know six, seven years deep and be like, look, I've got so much that I've built up over time. I've invested into constant courses. I've gone through all of these own personal experiences and hundreds of clients. I see a, a pattern in the industry where some people get stuck in the high level stuff. and like, you need to make this little tweak and you need to optimize this and that, but they haven't sorted the basics, right? So it's the big change of making sure you're meeting that client where they're at. You're looking at this you know, first domino because there's a hundred that we could obviously optimize there. And as you said, Kedrick, getting an idea of, 
what that looks like with the exact amount of calories or how can we op- optimize their post-workout shake is irrelevant if we're not taking into account their stress, their sleep, their ability to digest that food and making sure that they have an overall awareness of sitting down to actually chew their food is going to be completely different to running down, you know, waiting for a, a training that they're late for and chugging down a shake right that position that they're in or position they're putting their digestive system in is completely different so i think the sequence that we've built out with our clients is making sure that regardless of whether you're advanced or whether you're like literally completely new you still need to make sure those foundations are there and as we get further up the ranks you've got to realize those foundations shouldn't move right because nothing with your nutrition uh, with your adjustment in calories is going to be helpful if that absorption aspect that stress aspect is not taken into account so based on what I'm I'm hearing from you, like I like probably, I mean, I'm not trying to like disregard your view, but it's because like I've been doing this differently. And obviously the population we work with is so slightly different. You know, like if I, if a powerlifter wants to make weight in like six weeks and he like, I'm going to talk to him about, cool, right? Let's figure out your- Eat all the chocolate. Uh, yeah, your, your like absorption, they probably be like, quite put off right so it's probably just the nature of my 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 job but from what i'm hearing is that you you place a huge emphasis on like the absorption right whereas i would probably put calories first absorption later you would probably do it the other way around so i'm curious to hear your thoughts on how do you like identify if someone's uh absorption is poor or good or what is uh ob- like a objective standard of evaluating those factors because when it comes to calories it's quite easy because yeah calories are like numbers right so it's like cool right 2000 calories if you consume that we can safely say that yeah you're going to be consuming putting roughly 2000 calories in your body but it's very hard to actually quantify how much is being absorbed because you yeah, you, there's nothing like you don't yeah, have a sure. device in the gut or so something the, to measure. The, the big difference there is not necessarily the the level at which they're playing, but simply the 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 length of the goal, right? For you, if it's six weeks, it's a pretty short term goal. Let's get you in shape and let's not care about too much else. Whereas if it's a, a six year goal or they're, they're seeing those issues come through, then that's certainly a consideration, right? At the end of the day, you're very right. It's going to be a lot more. Uh, measurable to look at calories. But if I, I know I've done it before. And like I said, if there's, um, if I'm seeing those symptoms come through, I need to address those first if I'm looking at the long-term picture. So if we're looking at a six-week goal, we're looking for a show, there's definitely going to have to be like, look, this is what you're consuming. This is what we need to change it to. And we're going to push hard for six weeks because you know we're not going to be tinkering around with uh, how you need to add in a breathing practice if you need to drop weight <laughs> or need to add weight. But what we're looking at is trying to make sure that I think the problem with the industry as a whole, not a performance space, but when we're looking at body composition, fat loss, all of this stuff, is people are obsessed with short-term fixes to long-term problems, right? We're looking at how we can get short in six weeks, and then we put it all back on. We need, then we, uh, sorry, we need to drop weight in six weeks. We put it back on plus more. We need to drop weight, right? And we keep going through the cyclical approach, which is horrible to every part of the, of the cellular function. So trying to make sure that we have an awareness of front-loading the health is very much our focus. I'm not trying to get ready, someone ready for a, a six-week bodybuilding show or a comp. I'm trying to make sure that that focus of uh, moving them towards a long-term goal is how do we set up the foundations properly so that house doesn't topple. Now, in saying that, obviously, I've worked with a bunch of uh, bodybuilders and working people towards shows and shoots and stuff in the past. 
And I would always say, if you come to me at 12 weeks out, I can't help you. If you come to me at 20 weeks out or you come to me at 30 weeks out, we've actually got something to play with, right? Because I can now start to control some of those variables that are going to make it so much more helpful when we do have to have that conversation around calories, all right? So getting that awareness um, in, a, in a simple awareness of the, the female hormone structure, right? The difference between pushing them, you know, four, four weeks or the entire month towards that show, towards knowing when they're in a certain follicular phase versus a, a luteal phase will make a huge difference on whether they're resisting change or whether they're absolutely crushing it, right? So getting an awareness of just that full picture, it takes more time. And that's not sexy, but when we're looking at the, the difference in the goal, I think it comes back down to expectations and what that focus really is. Yep. So and I've, oh, sorry, Kedrick. I just want to say, you mentioned some of the variables that you think you could control, right? I mean, when it comes to the female uh, population, obviously you have a slightly much more hormonal environment. Whereas what, what about like for males, right? So uh, what are some variables that are, that you look at besides the regular, cool, are you eating enough vegetables? Are you eating enough protein? Uh, basically, are you eating enough protein, carbohydrates, fat, and fiber? Usually this is the general approach most people take at what else would you look at if you want to optimize certain stuff like you know for example your gut health and your absorption yeah uh, some place uh, to start is obviously their their symptoms on how they feel so bloated tired gassy uh what's the the stool consistency like are they are they still having a bowel motion regularly is there any uh, discrepancy in in the um makeup there that's going to be something that's going to be helpful is just a base right um but looking in deeper and just getting an idea of uh, like how do you feel when you wake up in the morning, right? Are you sleeping through the night? Just simple symptoms like that. They're going to get an idea of, yeah, I feel like I, f- I wake up refreshed. I feel like my energy is all good. When I get to the end of the day, my, my stomach's still uh, flat or, or not bloated, right? Fantastic. We're in a position, your, your digestive system's working. You're having reg- regular bowel motions. You feel like you're sleeping well. That's going to be in a position that their recovery, their ability to push on a on a training load and diving straight into a sequence is going to be much better than someone who's waking up feeling like they're already being hit by a truck, right? They're not having, they're feeling like they can't eat till lunchtime uh, and they're, they're always bloated in the afternoon, right? So there's a lot of things to address there that I'd need to look into first before calories come part of that conversation. So I guess a question here, and I always am very intrigued, especially with I work with some of, well, obviously, Full disclosure, I do work a little bit for Ollie as well, and I have some clients on the side as well, is that I always try to make sure, especially if someone is coming to me for competition-specific stuff or getting ready or if they're just coming to me for general health, I always make sure that um, they are eating healthily. I think that's always that big, uh, big overarching theme, right? If someone's not eating healthily, then there's always going to be gut issues, digestion issues, absorption issues, and there's always going to have that huge carryover. But if someone um, like more of Kedrick's clients, more so than anything, because they, well, we call them athletes, powerlifters, <laughs> but how how would you go about educating someone who's sort of very, very in the trenches or very passionate about the whole body recomp strength and everything but we understand that, hey, what you're going to eat isn't always going to be necessarily digested fully in your system. What are some good tips or philosophies that you think are quite important for these sort of like iron heads or meat heads to really realize that, hey, eating is great, calories is great, training is awesome. Um, but what are like, you know, your top two or top three, uh, I guess points that they really need to address 
um, in order to not just perform better um, in their competitions, of course, um, but in their overall well-being and health. Yeah, well, the first thing I think before we dive into any of that is setting, uh, making sure there's someone who wants help, right? Because I've worked with enough people that if they feel that you know they're hell bent on calories and that they're they're lean and everything's feeling good, then fantastic. And that's one of the main reasons that we work with people over 40 is because we've given them enough years to realize uh, <laughs> the usual approach doesn't work. They've realized that um, they need to look at the full picture or their body simply isn't working like it used to, right? If you come to someone, if I, if you go up to someone in the gym, for example, uh, in, in your PT starting out, you see this all the time, right? And you've come in with a new certification. You, you now know how to do a bench press, apparently. And you go up to the first person in the gym and you say, look, you're doing that wrong. Can I show you how to do it, right? Now, if that person's 30 kilos heavier than you, heavier than you swing it around a bunch of weight, regardless of how silly it looks, they're probably not going to listen to you, right? Whereas if there's someone who... Uh, they look up to you. Um, they've seen your results with clients. They've seen uh, your own training, whatever, right? There's a level of buy in there. Then firstly, we're going to be able to actually have that conversation and be productive. So I think that's something that, that a lot of coaches, a lot of um, just fitness enthusiasts need to look at first is if you want to change someone, they have to be in the ability to want to change, right? So we work with people that are coming to us and asking for, hey, can we help you with this? I've, uh, you know, in, in a gym environment, Yes, there's plenty of things I could change with the person on the bench press next to me, but have they asked for it? No, right? So getting an awareness of they need to make sure that there's a discrepancy and that they have to be motivated to want to make that change, right? Everyone's got a goal, everyone's got a gap, but are they willing to actually jump that gap or, or to cross that gap in order to move forward, I think is the mindset shift that needs to be taken first. Once we get there, we can have a conversation. And what that's going to be is starting with the boring stuff, right? So with the first two, three weeks of our training focus, at least for the guys we're working with, it's simply going to be breathe and walk, right? We might bring in a mindfulness awareness of stress, which is kind of being the, the tie of the two, but we need to make sure we're taking that into account, right? Because if they can't, if they're breathing through their chest, they're breathing shallowly, shallowly. Uh, obviously we see that a lot with powerlifters, a lot with bodybuilders, right? They're all built up with their traps and their lats and all these other muscles, and then their lower traps are piss poor, right? So getting an idea of how they can get some sort of diaphragmatic expansion, they can get some level of uh, function of that uh, body in the normal way, or simply just bring awareness to how they sort of their their muscle, their muscle tone might be uh, nice, but it's because they're constantly stressed and freaking out about the next thing that's now causing issues with a digestive level of problems. So, so getting an idea of what's happening with the full picture, it's just making sure that, cool, there's all of this stuff we can talk about down the track, but we need to make sure that we're actually covering how the body, what the human thing should look like first. And I think something we can go on, which I personally find very interesting, and hopefully our listeners would as well. You you talked a little bit about, about stool consistency, and Chong say we're going to talk about shit. So I guess we can touch a little bit about that. I mo- I know most people don't actually look at their stool consistency. I mean, it's not exactly the most beautiful thing to look at, right? It's like cool, I'm done, I flush, I get out. So maybe you can share with us what certain stool consistency should uh, look like, and if it's not, maybe if, if it's runny or if it's too hot, what does that possibly mm. uh, tell us about Indicators, what's happening? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So if we want to dive into this uh, more, obviously we dive into that with uh, the standard recommendation with our Bristol stool chart. Um, give us an idea of what poo should look like. That's always a good start. Um, but using that, we can start to look at, uh, obviously, if we're missing days, right? And we're, we're having a conversation. How regularly are you? Oh, yeah. Every Wednesday. Okay, that's a problem. <laughs> so being able to really bring this awareness back to frequency, all right, having a look at the level of constipation is going to imp- is going to increase a lot of that toxicity in the body, right? So getting an idea of what 
them not breaking down? Is there a lack of bile secretion? Is there a lack of digestive enzymes? Is there simply you're not chewing our food, right? We're causing all this systemic stress through the body. They're all going to be factors that we look into. Now, if we're on the other end of that and we're starting to see really loose stools, we're starting to go you know, more than two or three times a day and they're really uh, looser in consistency, we might be looking at a higher level of inflammatory markers, right? Are there some sort of sensitivities in the foods we're eating that are causing issues? Um, there's so many things we could be diving into, but simply that's why we're taking it back to the awareness of breathing, walking, and stress, because that's telling us simply to look inward and make sure that if we're eating a meal and we're stressed out or whatever, that's going to make a pretty big difference down the line uh, to our ability to digest that food, right? So when we're talking about those symptoms, those main things we're looking into, uh, are we digesting or are we just uh, making expensive poos? We want to make sure that we're taking that time to uh, know what's coming out the other end and getting an idea of uh, further upstream, what can we do to improve that stress, that digestive response? Hmm. You touched a little bit about inflammatory markers and I think there's like this other you know, thing that exists that people always talk about, like, oh, this food's causing me to be quite inflamed. And Kidrick, I think you might relate to this a little bit more. Um, something like, so we, for, for context, Ollie, so we both grew up in Malaysia and something like durian, for example, the fruit durian, um, when we Malaysians or Singaporeans eat durian, we always have this remark, oh, this food's making me very heaty <laughs> um and and i've come to terms and sort of like diving deeper into that that realm and kind of understand like oh actually feeling heaty is really just like a a symptom that your body is just really inflamed at that point in time you know and and we always say this uh, kedrick you probably can relate like we crack open a durian we eat the thing we're like oh shit like i feel very heaty and then we start to drink like water we just keep chugging water to kind of bring the heat down and I think like, again, completely anecdotal, I'm not too sure if anyone's done any research on durian, if you're a listener, but I think that something like durian might be like a very inflammatory food. And again, like different people re respond different to this. Um, but I guess in the more, uh, as we get more diverse now and, and more countries out there are more open to having foods of different different types of, of cultures and religions, what, what do you think are some foods that can... If if it's even a thing, can cause quite uh, can can cause quite a bad inflammation in someone's body because we we know that with if the body's inflamed, it's just not going to digest things well. It's just not going to function well. You're going to wake up feeling shit, dehydrated, just yeah, sure. So crap. It doesn't really matter, you know. Like obviously, if we dive into that. We're going to have a general evolutionary standpoint of you know closer to the equator. We're going to be supposedly we're going to be slightly better on a higher carbohydrate closer to the north or south pole we might be better on high fat so if we look at that evolutionary that does sound to make sense right we have wherever eskimos on our fish our pro high protein fats we have people more in the um in the tropics that are adding in a bit more fruit now we know that if we do higher vitamin d levels and we've got uh, more sunshine we're in the summer we're actually going to have a high, slightly higher insulin sensitivity our ability to use carbohydrates might go up uh, right, so there's a, there's a certain awareness there that uh, maybe where you've where you've initially come from, what uh, season you're in, that's always going to make a difference, right? And we always have this conversation around uh, what you ate six months ago might not be what's best for you now, and getting awareness of uh, some of those changes over time. But I think you know things like our dairy, our gluten, our soy are going to be ones that we always dive into. Now, things like gluten, things like uh, a lot of the breads, that might be different from New Zealand to Europe, right? We had uh, it's a couple of years ago now, but when we were over there last. 
the difference in the bread was, you know, what they're what they're changing. I can't remember what the exact thing is, but they're um, changing that makeup of the bread to make sure that it lasts on New Zealand shelves, right? So they're making it last and making it more resilient <laughs> on the shelf in New Zealand, but it means that now the body uh, can't digest it. So even though it looks nice on the shelf, it's not looking so nice inside the body. So looking at some of those changes uh, that we're human, you know, from a human level making two foods, which may make it last longer, may make it look nicer, uh, may make it uh, smell or taste better, right? As all these preservatives and all this stuff that's going into food that is causing uh, our body to look at that as foreign is, I think, one of the biggest issues there. Mm, so let's just say, uh, for example, right, I'm, I'm going to use my example, uh, myself as an example, and perhaps people out there listening uh, might feel like this is too much information but i usually go to the bathroom uh very frequently right uh like maybe three four times a day and not all uh, of the uh, not the not all my stools are consistent right probably the morning one is probably the best you know so let's just say if i identify these things in me right what is a change i can make right so for our listeners out there let's just say if you have the same issue you don't have consistent stools and you're going maybe too frequently i actually don't even know what should be the ideal frequency someone goes to the bathroom right uh so maybe you can share a little bit more on that and a bit more practical things that our listeners can actually uh start implementing right now after they let's just say they're done with this episode and they want to make a change what would that be like yeah man um so the big thing i think was uh you know the industry in general is obsessed with is cool what's uh uh, a thing we can add, right? It's this fancy new herb that we can make it all better with, right? But I think what we're looking at is trying to make sure there's an issue that's been caused internally first that we need to touch base on. So getting an awareness of those sort of three, we, we sort of dive into five or six to be airing in a couple more, but our main three are going to be dairy, gluten, soy, right? So if we can remove those out, we can get an idea of what's happening. If we can even get into a sort of food journal standpoint, allowing us to be like, ah, oh, I actually felt this way after meal. That sounds simple, but the amount of people that write it down three days in a row and they realize I'm always tired after that meal. I've never noticed that before. I've had this meal for 10 years. <laughs> so making that shift in nutrition and being able to simply write things down will bring a lot of awareness to uh, that ability to move forward. Now, uh, a big thing in, in the ath athletic space or, or in sports in general is that people are focusing so much on training really hard and the higher and higher you get up, you realize they're focusing more and more on how they can, tr they can recover hard, right? Because it's your performance, uh, your ability to perform is directly correlated to your ability to rest. Your ability to build that base is going to make a massive difference. All right. So if we're looking at uh, trying to make those changes, a lot of the time, if we're putting our body under too much stress, we're not sleeping enough, we're working all through the day and we're forgetting to eat meals, right? There's a lot of systemic stress on the body there that's going to impact our ability to digest food. So first step uh, coming back to that is simply the food you're eating is going to be one of the, the biggest opportunities for us to look at what's causing issues in the gut, right? Because it's the stuff that's actually in there. So find the root cause. Is it going to be one of those more common food groups like dairy, uh, gluten, potentially peanuts, maybe even uh, corn, right? Some of these foods that are usually not digested well by the body. Um, that can be different for a ton of people. I know for in the bodybuilding space, people have 
overdone eggs for 10 years or they've overdone chicken or one of these food groups that they've become so resistant to it, right? They're so, this amino acid profile in the body has just become so prominent that it's really started to damage how that gut is working, right? So taking that time to identify what those foods are for you as an individual is going to be step number one, right? Now getting awareness of long-term, I identified that the food that I was getting intolerant to was the food I was having post-workout for 10 years, right? Because I wasn't giving myself to calm back down after training before I was actually in a digestive state, right? I was still in a high sympathetic fight-or-flight response, and I wasn't in a position to actually digest food. So taking that time to actually calm that nervous system down, do some breathing, do some stretching, do whatever you, you can do to calm down, simply take a shower, and then you can have that meal and you're in a position that you're in a much better digestive state. So those are always going to be the first simple steps we can take. Mm. Some cool stuff, Ollie. Well, we are going to keep this episode nice and short, but we always ask our guests um, this question, Ollie, and if you had to go back to the roots of it all, like going back, taking things back to square one. And if someone wants to learn a little bit more about their gut health, their digestive, or what is, um, you know, or, or sort of in the realm of like eating for the betterment of their health in long term, what would you think, or where would you think would be the best resources for someone to sort of study or learn a little bit more about these things? Yeah, well, as we're going through today, obviously, Kedrick, be um, great to connect more. I know this is a space where we're diving into um, so many aspects of performance and health, and we can start to have that conversation where they're, they're actually aligned, they're bringing bring the two together. Uh, I think things become a lot more fun, and we're not just working with a high-level resist, uh, you know, athlete that's resilient to anything and bounces back. I think what we're working with is how can we really make sure that anyone that wants to get to that level isn't going to allow uh, their circumstances, their genetics, their whatever, to hold them back, and how we can actually really build people towards that base is one of those big focus points. So if we can start to simply bring an awareness to things like our sleep and our digestion, digestive health that are going to build and elevate that level up, right? We're looking at a level of epigenetics now, right? A level of actually expressing those genes. Even if we have shitty genes, we're in a position that we can actually show up better. So we have a much bigger opportunity to make sure that more people win and more people feel in control of their health, their body moving forward, right? So uh, a simple uh, place I'd start is if you just go to the metaproject.co, we've actually got a fat loss quiz that we can go through uh, breaking them down step by step what's going through with your sleep your energy your digestive system what's really happening as a bit of a base and we can take you step by step through a bit more of an awareness of some of the things that you can take into a consideration uh, making sure we can get you closer to whatever goals you want to achieve all right i think that's very helpful so uh, before we end maybe you want to share i'm i know you mentioned your, the website just now but uh, i think you maybe you can share where where people can find you if they want to get in touch, if they want to learn more. Uh, yeah. So now we'll put it in the, the show notes down below. Yeah. Now's the time where you just plug your, your social media, your website, whatever. So yeah, sh- feel free to share where people can get in touch with you. Yeah, man. Uh, that, that'd be really the main place. I think the metaproject.co is our main website and you'll see the uh, fat loss quiz you can dive into there and then you'll get the results. You'll get that training straight afterwards that you can dive right into. Uh, and if you want to share me on, uh, uh, follow me on socials, it'd just be uh, Ollie Wood. You'll be able to find me somewhere. Cool. Well, that's it, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, like, give it a thumbs up if you're watching it on the YouTubes or whatever channels that you're watching it on. Um, That will be awesome. Ollie, thanks for your time to uh, shedding light and talking some shit with us today. 